بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته this is Rashad Norze joined with uh, Imam Fuad Muhammad and uh, Salman Bukhari assalamu alaykum Imam Fuad and Salman how are you guys wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh i'm doing well how are you guys alhamdulillah doing well good good so we've 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 kicked things off we had our conversation a couple of weeks ago i'm excited like honestly the the weeks that passed i really missed talking to you guys i i sometimes i'm more uh, connected regularly with summer but imam fuad as you know you and i have had like months where we were spending every week together on on the book and other topics yeah, so it's wow. nice inshallah we'll get back to that uh, that regular schedule in any case i guess today um I first maybe wanted to start out with some of the most pressing, you know, current events or things that might be most top of mind and get you guys' reflections. And I'm curious, uh, maybe with starting with yourself, Imam Fuad, you guys have had a lot of turmoil, and I know there's still a lot going on in uh, the Washington area. Mm-hmm. But in particular, you know, what was uh, your your initial re- re- reaction or feelings when you heard about, or if you saw the video about uh, Jacob Blake? And we're praying for him and his family um, and the events that are happening in Kenosha. Uh, you know, the I, I was like maybe a day or two behind, uh, you know, when the news got out. The way that uh, that I, I came across it, uh, you know, I, I was on Instagram. And then I kept seeing, like, everyone that I follow, it kept saying this is a sensitive video. And usually I don't, like, I don't click on, you know, videos that say sensitive because I feel like, you know, it's too much going through to see one video. So when I saw like three, four, five, I was like, what is going on? Let me see this video. And when I saw it, wallahi, I was just, it was so shocking. Um, you know, when you act like a lot of the times when we see, uh, you know, something happening to like social injustice happening, uh, where it involves a, you know, black person and involves a, uh, you know, police officer, you don't really get to see like and hear how it happens, right? Like it comes out, it comes out later on. Or like some way that you know the police cam brings it out, but to actually see somebody recording and then you know this person's walking away, he's about to get inside of his car, and just you know the you know the the, the shooting start out, it was so shocking, subhanAllah. You know, it was like I, I couldn't even believe it. Like is this really what we're watching? Like this is you know our society, not even just you know one shot, two shots, like seven times. So it was subhanAllah, it was it was very shocking when I saw the video. And I couldn't just believe it. And then I think the the, the day after uh, is when you know the uh, the NBA was going crazy with it, and uh, you know they were trying to raise awareness. I was watching uh, ESPN, and I think it was the first time like something like this happened, where like I had to fight back tears, right? Because I was like seeing the video and then seeing you know how people are feeling about it and talking about. It, I was like, Subhanallah, like this is really an injustice. This is not like how do you justify this one? You know. Yeah, that's a good point. How about yourself, Sarmad? Yeah, I don't remember what day it was when I saw it, but um, similar reaction. I was just like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this, uh, what I was seeing. Um, it was just really, I mean, it's, it's, I've gotten to the point where like, it's really hard to say I'm shocked because like this, this, nothing's changed in the system. Like this is going to happen again and again and again, unless we like t- something changes, like there's no accountability. 
So on one hand, I was shocked to see that this was happening in broad daylight in like a community in like a neighborhood. And on the other hand, I was like, man, this is like, this is for sure, this is going to cause more riots. Because like, yeah. it's, man. it's straight up oppression. And and I know I know the term we we use and we hear a lot of riots and I feel like people have people have really focused a lot on how we speak about these events and mm-hmm. I feel like you know whether you call it protests I feel like it is it's legitimate protests you know and just because it's done in a way that everyone doesn't agree with um, it's easier to turn them and we know a lot about this we've talked about this I think before but it's much easier when a group is standing up for something. Uh, and if things don't go right, it's easier to categorize that group in a way to make it seem like because of their because of the, maybe even the negative actions of some that the larger group doesn't have a moral standing. And interestingly, I feel like this is something <clears throat> this is something recognized in in debates and like formal debates and the understanding of debate and argumentation, um, where people will often try to attack a person's character so that they can reflect maybe their personal position on what happened or didn't happen. Although the character or the actions of these individuals, even if people are, even if people are writing is not a reflection of the injustice that occurred. And uh, it's sad to see the, like, I think we, we, we all kind of have a similar sentiment and I like what uh, um, Jacob Blake's, I believe it was his sister that spoke. And I saw that video on a lot of different uh, sites and different media outlets published it where she, she really wasn't asking, you know, she had that same sentiment of, I'm not really, uh, I'm not uh, sad here. I'm not going to cry here um, just because it ha- happened so much, not just, you know, in her case to her direct family, but the, in the larger society, but more yeah. so that it's just about, you know, how people feel. It's about actually making, doing something to make a difference. So I, I thought this was interesting to, to hear you guys' perspectives on this mm-hmm. and, I thought it was a relation. There was a relationship uh, to this because 2020 people keep talking about the year itself, right? Mm-hmm. Probably more popular a couple of weeks ago, but it's still pretty common for people to talk about how bad the year 2020 is. And I think that that hadith that you shared, Sarmud, uh, if you wanted to mention that, I thought that was interesting here. Yeah, sure. I saw it uh, from Dr. Shadi al-Masri on uh, Twitter. He was saying... Trying to find the actual source. I'm just seeing his. Uh, I'm just seeing his, his tweet for now. But what it what it what it says the the summary of it is. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, in educating the believers, the Prophet sallam, said, "Do not curse time, for Allah is time." Mm-hmm. Meaning that. So this is Dr. Shadi's commentary. He says, "Meaning that time doesn't do anything. It has no power or choice. Nothing happens without Allah's permission. So when you're cursing time, you're actually cursing the original source of all these misfortunes, which is Allah." A believer shouldn't say this stuff even in passing or jest. Hadith Qudsi says, the human being harms me, he curses time, while I am the time. Everything is in my control. Nawawi says, it means the events of time are caused by Allah. Yeah, subhanAllah. So yeah, yeah. I, the first reaction I had was like, wow, I, like even in jest and passing, I've, you know, in my conversations with my coworkers, have said multiple times already with the fires happening in California, with what's, you know, the COVID happening in, in, in you know, the United States and just everything happening around us. Like I've said multiple times out without thinking about what I'm saying, what, what a terrible year, you know, 2020, man, what a, what a misfortunate year. Um, just in in, in in joke and, and and whatnot like just to like relate with people and, and get them to realize that like you know like um 
acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the suffering is, is you know, is, is one important thing. But uh, at the same time, this hadith reminded me not, not to curse time. Subhanallah. You know, this is a, a this is a, like a very wonderful hadith, like to really look at and, and to put, you know, to put things into perspectives. There are some things like, you know, we should not be cursing. Uh, this hadith that you mentioned about, you know, not cursing time. It is, you know, an authentic hadith from Abu Hurairah that is found in the Sahih Muslim, where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, you know, he, uh, the Prophet Sallallahu he says, you know, do not curse the time because uh, uh, time is Allah, right? Like Allah is the one that is in control of it. There's also another hadith, you know, where we're told uh, not to curse the wind, and the reason why it's it's the same thing because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, He is the one that is commanding the wind, and the wind is not. It doesn't do anything without the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you are cursing uh, that thing that is under the command of Allah, you are, you know, in turn cursing the one that is controlling it. And this has been, you know, a like a hard year. Uh, like so many things coming together on top of one another. It leads people to say, like, we just want this year to be over, you know. But like in reality, uh, if, we, if we compare this year to like other, you know, years that people have suffered through, uh, you know, when things were on top of together, is it really that bad? Or is it because uh, now, like, this suffering is global and we're able to tell that people are suffering together? You know, so is it, like, is, is it really much worse than, you know, the other times? Or is it just because we're able to know, uh, like, so many people are going through things that, you know, that makes it, like, even harder for us? Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I, you know, this concept, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Kasarman. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, this, this, this concept of, of, of struggling and, and the value of struggling. Yeah, it's not like when I thought about, you know, when I, when I reflected more deeply on, 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 this, on, this, on this reminder that, you know, Dr. Shadi shared on Twitter, mm. uh, I came to realize that, you know, like, even though there is so much suffering and struggling happening out there, mm. th there's a lot of khair coming out of this as well. There's a lot of people who are getting more closer to their families. A lot of people who are transitioning the way they work. Uh, myself, you know, I'm going through that transition where I'm getting to spend a lot of time with my son. Like yeah. time that I would have spent three hours on the train back and forth from, from work and whatnot. I'm getting that much more deeper quality time with my son. And that's just me on, my, on a personal level. Like imagine on the societal level where, you know, things are shifting, things are changing. And um, change in and of itself is not, is not necessarily like, you know, there's, what I'm trying to say is that there's, there's good coming from it. And uh, it reminded me of, of, of a quote from, uh, you know, one of the scholars of the movement. He says that, you know, struggling, you know, suffering in, in, in that sense is, uh, I'm going to read the quote. He says, it's an inescapable phenomenon for the Islamic movement of old and new. This characteristic which distinguishes Islam has made the Islamic movement more susceptible to suffering or struggling. And as a consequence, struggling in it has has taken on a special significance, which is not shared by any other sectarian or political movement. Mm. Struggling is one of the most important factors of character building and selection process in Islam. Theoretical training may have no value as long as it is not accompanied by hardship and trial. So, Even faith is in need of struggling to probe its depths and measure its extent. Thus it is strong, firm faith which stands out in times of hardship. But weak faith is quickly exposed and overcome by struggling. Subhanallah. This is in his book, Problems Faced by the Da'wah and Da'iyah. Subhanallah. Yeah. Wow. I, I like that. And, and I feel like um, one area here, which, which you guys are both sort of capturing that I'm listening to is 
the there is a subjective nature to this and i feel it's it's very interesting that the viewpoint that someone comes like the lens that people bring to um to the experiences that they're having shapes so much of their their the the, the experience itself right like how I understand what a struggle is or what difficulty is or what suffering is um, makes that experience either, you know, more bearable or more uh, like, you know, that there's something beyond this or that, you know, that there's some transition that will happen from whatever you're in. And I find it funny that the people who are usually making these jokes or talking about, you know, the year are actually the people that are very well off. You know, it's people sitting in their home. Maybe they're a little inconvenienced by the idea that <clears throat> they can't just go out, you know, in the way that they used to. Um, yeah. So I actually also considered it as, as something that's really a wake up call for us as well. Meaning for us as anyone who's in a position of um, relative ease during this time. Um, and of course, you know, we, we're praying, we should pray as much as we can for each other. But for those people who are in a position where you don't recognize what's happening in this time, maybe there's a way to, it's kind of a wake up call, you know, to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, wake up, consider what's actually happening. Uh, no one is really outside of the scope of what's happening. And I thought in terms of the, the concept of time and struggle, and I just wanted to see that uh, or to highlight that time itself is something that's subjective, right? It's, it's relative in the sense that each person experiences it in their own way. And we have measures of time in order to make it like something standardized. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, um, you know, I thought one of the things I was hoping to talk with you guys about today was, you know, there, there seemed we, we've made a transition, alhamdulillah, for the Islamic New Year. And may Allah put barakah in the New Year for everyone. But we've gone from 1441 now to 1442. And there are a lot of key events around this. So maybe to start, I could ask you, you know, uh, I'd like, well, I guess, what is, why is this new year different? What makes it a new year uh, from the Muslim perspective? Um, so, uh, alhamdulillah, you know, we are in the new Islamic year. Uh, I think today is the 15th or the 14th of Muharram. Mm -hmm. uh, Muharram is the first month in the Islamic calendar. Right, just like the uh, the other calendars that are out there, our calendar has you know twelve months that are uh, every year it goes down by either ten days or by eleven days. And uh, when we say it's like fourteen forty two, what we're saying is from the time that the Prophet sallallahu made hijrah until today, it has been one thousand four hundred and forty two years. Right, it's like it's after hijrah, so. The, year, the 13 years before Hijrah, when the Prophet ﷺ was a prophet, they were using the time, like the calendar of, uh, the calendar of, you know, the Arabs. Uh, and the reason why, it, like, we even have this one that we have, uh, during the Khilaf of Umar ibn Khattab, anhu, there was somebody that, you know, that, uh, that borrowed some money from another, another person. When it came time to pay, he said, I told you that I was going to give it to you in Sha'ban. But it's not Sha'ban yet. And the person was like, it is Sha'ban. He said, oh, I meant when the next Sha'ban comes. So, you know, they realized that, you know, people are playing with the months. So they decided, you know what, let's set a calendar that, you know, everyone has to follow. So then they calculated backwards uh, until, you know, when did the Prophet ﷺ make Hijrah? And from that time on, we've been using this calendar. And Alhamdulillah, you know, it is a, uh, when the New Year, New Year comes, it is a you know a time that uh, we should be making dua that you know this year comes upon us and 
you know, we're full of health and full of iman and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses it for us. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, we, we don't go crazy uh, like other people do when it's their new year, you know, in terms of, you know, the celebrations that they have, the, the festivals that they have. But we stay, you know, in the, like right in the middle. Yeah, I'm happy you shared that because I think there's something unique in it seems like it's a product of of history itself, right? Like over over the last several hundred years, mm-hmm. today I think most people in the world work off of the uh, the common era calendar, you know, the the year 2020, and this doesn't have to do with any sort of intrinsic value in that calendar. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, when it comes to the question of measuring time, there's nothing to to argue with. You know, we have days, we have months, we have years. There are ways to measure that that are meaningful. But mm-hmm. I think when it comes to understanding uh, what a calendar is based on, I imagine in the past people would have been more connected to the many other calendars that exist. The Jewish community has a calendar. The, the Christian community is obviously the calendar that we're working off of, although I know there were you know different types of calendars that were used in the past, um, as well as other communities have their own basis for their calendar. But I, I like to take a moment and step back and reflect on what the significance is uh, of this particular calendar and the basis for it. So in, in terms of practicality, it makes sense to have a basis for a calendar. But I'm curious because as far as I understand, it was neither like revealed by God, nor was it the prophet, peace be upon him, who instituted the starting point of the hijrah. So I'm curious if you guys, I wonder if you guys have ever asked this question or, 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 or thought about why the hijrah was chosen versus the birth of the prophet, peace be upon him, or even the first, you know, uh, period of revelation. Um, so uh, this, this, you know, when, uh, when they came together to decide, uh, you know, the companions, uh, how should we pick the the beginning of the of the Islamic year? They had you know difference of opinion on when it should be. Uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu he said that it should be at the birth of the Prophet But then they said you know this is what the Christians have done with their calendar. So because they've done that, we don't want to be like them. So they said okay, uh, let's pick the uh, let, let's pick when the Prophet became a prophet. And then they said, we don't really, uh, you know, w- when he became a prophet, we didn't have, uh, like, Islam was not strong, right? Islam was not, it didn't have its own place and, you know, it was uh, under persecution. And where do we start it from? Do we start it from the time that, uh, you know, he started giving da'wah, which was three years after he became a prophet, or at the time that, you know, he actually became a prophet? And we don't know what day this was. You know that he became a prophet. Only Khadija radiallahu anha knew, and she's not here. Mm-hmm. So you know, what day do we choose? Then uh, one of them they said we should make it. You know, the day that Islam became victorious. So they said, when did Islam become victorious? When we made Hijrah, when we left Mecca and we went to Medina. This is where the uh, the victory of Islam started. So from mm-hmm. there they said, okay, let's you know let's start uh, uh, let's start you know using this calendar. And the cal- like the, the, the names of the month were already there and the Arabs were already using this calendar. But what used to happen was, you guys know we have, you know, the four sacred months, mm-hmm. right? In these sacred months, uh, you're not allowed to fight. And this is like, this is not something that came with Islam, but it was already there. What the bigger tribes used to do when they wanted to fight, they would say, you know what? 
you think it's Muharram is not right. So they would play around with the, you know with the months and they would say this is not one of the sacred months. This is a month we can fight in. So now we're uh, we're going to take over your village, right? So this is like this how they used to play with it. They would they would take one month and put it you know another place and it started really causing problems when uh, the Arabs started to do it when it came to trade, right? So they would like they would enter into an agreement from this time to this time I'm going to. Uh, you know, have this place, and then from this time to this time, you're going to have it. When that time comes, one of them is going to, to, to say, you know, I don't want to give it to you because the time is not here. You think today is, for example, Safar, but Safar is three months away, and they had, like, no way of, you know, putting it down. So they decided, you know what, let us, you know, establish our own calendar that we are going to follow. Mm. And that's how, uh, you know, it came about. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I mean, it brings up so many questions for me. I think about, um, well, most people will think, well, why isn't Ramadan a sacred month? When we talk about this, obviously, we're in Muharram, and this is one of the sacred months. Yeah. I really encourage people that I th- there was a talk I listened to recently, and I can't recall exactly who it was, but uh, they spoke about the virtues of Muharram. And it's incredible, you know, uh, that the Prophet, peace be upon him, would spend more uh, days out of the year fasting in this month Mm-hmm. Until Ramadan actually became uh, required, so the, yeah. the virtues of these sacred months are are very unique, and also the idea that it, it was something that existed prior to the revelation. And sometimes when people hear this, <clears throat> they think, "Well, why do the Muslims? Why did Islam follow the things? Why did the prophets we want to follow the things that might have existed already?" In some cases, there are corrections made. In some cases, there are entire changes that are made. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you know, there is something that exists. So. As I understand it, and you know, this is uh, something I, I think in the future we could talk more about this topic itself, but sometimes we recognize that there are things that are in place because of prior revelation, right? Because it doesn't make sense for someone to arbitrarily make a month sacred, you know, and this is a very important point from all the things we understand in Islam. You know, there's no such thing as like randomly making stuff meaningful and valuable, etc. Uh, they all they have their place and they're based on the the ultimate authority, which is Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, which mm-hmm. is a very important part of our understanding. And and I think this is a, a point to reflect on that Allah is the one that made these months sacred. Allah is the one that has given us these systems and these processes that exist to work with. Mm-hmm. And there, to, to the best of my knowledge, there must have been some prior you know uh, just like the wor- the the worship that was taking place at the kaaba why did the muslims uh, you know why did the people even the arabs see the kaaba as something's uh, uh, holy but of course because of ibrahim because of ismail because of hajar so there is there's always a history there we might not know uh, the details of that history uh, but but there there are some things unique there it's not something random that that was put together. Yeah, for sure. Salman, what do you think? And I think, um, sorry, I was going to add one more point here, which is that uh, one of the points that comes up about this question and how the Sahaba discussed this, I love to highlight, or I love when I hear examples of the Sahaba coming together and putting together their best thinking, putting together their their reflections on current issues that are that are they're faced with, and coming up with new solutions. And for me, you know, I learned this later in my journey uh, in Islam. Uh, early on, it felt like I, I had learned more about the the follow and obey model, 
right? Or just the religion is this kind of strict thing that everyone does one way and it's always been that way and there's nothing, you know, about it that has ever been different. And actually, you know, you find that uh, Islam came to empower the, the companions and the people of that time uh, that the Prophet, peace be upon him, trained to mm-hmm. become, you know, thinkers and, and with, with the proper grounding, with the proper roots and the proper understanding, the proper, you know, connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go out and solve problems, to go out and do their best, you know, even uh, applying their, their best uh, thinking and the, their best knowledge and understanding, taking from, you know, whatever sources are available to address issues of their time. So it's, it's great. I, personally, I, I enjoy hearing these stories because it highlights how so many things uh, that weren't answered, the Sahaba had to, they gave us the, the template, right? That this is the type of Muslim we should be. Um, and we don't have a religion that's dogmatic. We don't have a religion that says everything is X, Y, Z, and there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And there, there of course, are things that are roots and principles and grounded in the, uh, uh, the Quran and the Sunnah. But beyond that, actually, it's a very open uh, way of life that encourages people. And that's why we see that from the Sahaba. We see that from the later generations um, and up into our current time. So I, I like when that gets highlighted in the different events. And before I think Sarma jumps in, I was going to ask you, Imam Fuad, as well, mm-hmm. along with Muharram. So there seems to be a lot of events uh, associated with Muharram, but in particular, Ashura comes up. So maybe what's, what's kind of the, what's happening there? What's the significance? What does that even mean when people mention Ashura? Uh, Sarmad, do you want to add something before we jump into that one? No, let's talk about that first, inshallah. Okay, so uh, Ashura, it is the, like, you know, the 10th day of, uh, of the month of Muharram. Um, three things happen on this day, right? From our sources, there are three things that happen. There is uh, one that uh, happens before the Prophet wasallam is even born. And this is when Musa salam he's saved from Fir'aun. So Musa and Bani Israel, they are saved from Fir'aun. Uh, the second one is when the Prophet wasallam comes to Medina and, you know, he finds, you know, what's going on with the Yehud and, you know, they're fasting this day. But even the Arabs uh, in the time of Jahiliyyah and also the Prophet and the companions, they used to, uh, this used to be like a holy day where they would be fasting. So it was like, you know, a special day. Uh, Then afterwards, uh, I believe in the year 61 after Hijrah, there is, you know, the events of Karbala uh, where the grandson of the Prophet Hussein. Uh, Ibn Ali, Ibn Abi Talib, radiyallahu anhuma, he becomes a shaheed and he is killed uh, by the people from Kufa, right? So uh, that happened uh, 61 years after the hijrah. So these are the three things. Now, for us, you know, as as Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, we, you know, there are some things that we do. Uh, one of those is that on that day, uh, we fast because the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he told us that uh, we should be fasting the day of Ashura, uh, and I think he said, uh, uh, that fasting, uh, this day of fasting, it is going to forgive you for the sins that you committed in the year previously. Uh, and the Prophet وسلم, from the uh, first year of Hijrah, so like if we go back to 
instead of 1442, we go back to one after Hijrah. Up until the 10th, he used to fast. Or up until the 9th. No, no, up until the 10th, he used to fast the day of Ashura by itself. Then afterwards, uh, on the 10th year, uh, the Prophet وسلم, he said, That if I'm alive, you know, the coming year, I'm going to fast the ninth day. And this was, uh, you know, as the, uh, there is a hadith where it said that the Prophet وسلم, said, you know, uh, be different than the Yahud and fast in it. But, uh, that that hadith it, it, it is uh, at best it is a statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas rather than the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So there's some problems in the chain of it. So uh, we fast on that day. Uh, of course, to be different than the Yahud that fast on the tenth only. And they, but but for them, uh, I think it's sometime in, in September. Uh, so every year in September uh, it's called the Day of uh, Atonement, where mm-hmm. they you know everything is shut down. Uh, you know, there no TV, uh, no uh, like n- no radio. The roads are closed, and like in Israel, where they, you know where they uh, where they are, and then they they celebrate that day by fasting. And then the other side, uh, we have the Shia, which spend this day as you know a day of mourning, uh, a day of sadness for what happened to the grandson of the Prophet Al Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib. So that's like you know the the, the the, the the summary of what Ashura is. And uh, I, I'm happy. Uh, there are so many areas to talk about here. I mean, first and foremost, I think it, I like that you shared kind of the broad perspective. Uh, it's beautiful that our history, human history, uh, there are significant events and times, and the commemoration of that is is important. Um, I think as human beings, you know, reflecting on my personal life, mm-hmm. you know, you start to know yourself, you start to, you start to know yourself and, and uh, acknowledge, uh, you know, your identity when you start to connect to the history. So for some people, that's their parents and their grandparents and their maybe their village or their tribe and community. But for so many of us, it goes even farther than that. And sometimes people make this um, a matter of tribes and different groups, etc. It's actually yeah. one of the uh, like it's often repeated um, uh, points from from let's say atheists or anti uh, people that are anti-religion that mm-hmm. oh yeah religion divides people, but here we have like these beautiful events in history that actually are universal. Musa Alayhi Salam and, and Moses and his story is universal. Everyone yeah. can, can connect with him and the event that he faced and, and the, the, the way he stood up and his character and what he did um, and the people that were with him. And similar to the Prophet Muhammad, similar to Jesus, peace be upon him, Mary, peace be upon her and everyone else. And so this is, I think, a way, something that really unites us rather than divides us. Yeah. Do you know if it's the... Um... Do you know if it's the Islamic sources or the Israeliyat where it, it is said that the flood of Noah and the opening of the Sea of Musa also happened on Ashura? Uh, I've heard uh, the the opening of the sea, right, but not the, not the one from the the, the flood of Noah. So oh. the only one is the opening of the sea because that is you know the same day that they're being saved from Pharaoh. So yeah. that saving is you know the sea splitting and 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 them getting across the right. Uh, for right, own right. Uh, being destroyed right mm-hmm. makes sense i it's, it's it's a personal area of interest for myself because 
the more I've read about history, and in particular, yeah. like from comparative religion, um, the history, for, you know, even from the, the uh, Muslim history, the Sita, et cetera, I've realized mm-hmm. how difficult history is, right? It, it's, we, we have a lot of information and, and actually knowledge and wisdom that comes from the past, right? But how it reached us and the reliability, the authenticity of that material, um, the, the, the nature of the, the statements themselves, like the specific details of who said what and uh, exactly how they said it, the, the, prob- the challenge of the translation over time, right? So there's a, tra- there's a challenge of I take one language to another language. There's another challenge of the person who spoke this language, you know, a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago or 5000 years ago, yeah. uh, just understood the world in a different way and used words in a different way. And we can even see it in, in writing in modern times as well. In fact, if you pick up writings from someone 50 years ago or 100 years ago in English, you might not fully understand what they're talking about because the yeah. world they lived in was so different. Yeah, subhanAllah. That is, you know, like, this. that is history, you know, how uh, our understanding can be, you know, based on how, you know, the people translated and not fully knowing, uh, you know, what really happened. You know, for like, like some of the things, especially if, uh, like, if we think about how long ago that you know Musa was saved, right? I know that in the like the Jewish calendar, it's uh, five thousand two hundred years, and I think they started uh, on the day that he was saved, or the day that uh, he was sent as a prophet. So it's been that long ago, and you know they've been uh, keeping up with this tradition. Yeah, and so I guess another question I wanted to pose to you guys was, I, I, I had a person, like my personal experience growing up was, I didn't actually hear much about Imam Hussein and his life and, and the incident at Karbala um, and, and a lot of that history until actually at college. And where I went in college, there was a lot of tension sometimes within the Muslim community um, between, uh, you know, the, the, some, some individuals, uh, maybe from the Shia community, some individuals from the uh, Ahlasuna community. And I'm curious, actually, um, if, uh, if you guys had a similar experience or because I, I, I wasn't sure if this was just, you know, my, maybe how my family approached things. We generally didn't actually, you know, uh, touch on a lot of topics related to the seat of the prophesied Saddam itself as well. So but what's you guys' experience been with that, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, similar uh, upbringing as you, I think, Rashad, like my family, uh, you know, Pakistani culture has a strong Sufi influence, uh, yeah. culturally speaking, you know, the, the Sufis carried, uh, the Sufi like scholars and what in the past carried Islam to Al-Hind, the, the Indian subcontinent and whatnot, and had a huge influence uh, on the music and culture of that society. And the love of the the love of the family of the Prophet was something deeply ingrained in us growing up, and so uh, you know, reading more about the history of it and learning about you know the sacrifice that um, uh, Hussein radiallahu and 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 Hassan his, his older brother as well uh, both made uh, you know it was always emphasized like the, just learning about the story, learning about the history, learning about what happened there, the struggle that they went through. It's really interesting. And more recently, I, I was listening to Dr. Shadi Masri again last last Friday. He had a really nice khutbah on this uh, khutbah, actually, a uh, virtual khutbah on this topic. And he was talking about how both of them struggled. You know, the, the older brother struggled 
to give up his right as the rightful Khalifa after Ali. Uh, mm-hmm. May Allah be pleased with him. Mm-hmm. And he gave it up because he saw the fitna. He saw that if if if, if I claimed it now, then you know there's going to be more, more Muslims are going to die. And then the second one, Hussein, he claimed it and 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 decided to 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 stand up for it because he was worried that in the future, you know, Islam Islamic Khilafah is just going to become uh, like it's just going to become you know a father passing on to the son without no right, without any right. So both of them held on to their principle, and both mm-hmm. of them. You know, uh, made their decision, but held like did it with like upon a, a, a principle, upon a value, and so um, yeah, just uh, that's you know, it's 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 all coming together now that I'm thinking about it from a historical perspective and the cultural emphasis that we place on it uh, as well. Yeah, Subhanallah, it's it's you know when you really think about uh, like the things that you know the children of Ali radiAllahu anhu went through, like you realize like how much they had to suffer. Uh, and it's not just like Hassan, like, you know, when we say he gave up his throne or, he, you know, he gave up the right uh, to be the Khalifa. He had to give it up to the people that killed his father. Like, not, yeah. like it, just giving it up is very hard. But imagine yeah. to give it to the people that, you know, were responsible for the death of, you know, of your father. And yeah. then when you look at Hussein, like, subhanAllah, he had to, uh, like, he knew, you know, on his way to Karbala, when he was heading to Kufa to go and get the, the bay'ah, like he heard, like so many of the companions went to him and they said, you know, do not do this. And even there was a, uh, one of the servants of Aisha, radiallahu anha, she goes to him and she tells him, you know, I heard Aisha say, the Prophet said, this is the place that you're going to go and die. Do not go to yeah. this place. So like, he already knew this, this is what, you know, he's going to. And then he gets there uh, when he realizes that, you know, he's in Karbala. Like, yeah. People that are with him abandoned him, except you know ninety people that were you know the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and then to yeah. see uh, you know an army of four thousand on the other side coming to kill you, and not yeah. just but everybody that's there with you, you know, yeah. and, and, like he didn't like I, I can't even imagine you know what uh, what he could have been thinking at that time where he's thinking he's going to a people that are ready to give him uh, yeah. you know, they wait for him to come only for them to turn around. And this is, you know, was, was was waiting for it. Subhanallah. You know, you know, you know, something I've been thinking a lot about is how do we prepare? How do we prepare our children for struggle? Our life has become so easy and so comfortable. Like we live like kings used to live uh, two hundred years ago, just a hundred years ago. Even the better. lifestyle and and comfort, comf- like the comfort that we have nowadays, like mm-hmm. it, it it really really has an impact on us. And so you know, I've been thinking a lot as 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 a, as a new father. You know, I have a son who's a year and a half. Like. How do I teach him to like to value the, the the struggle that you know that he needs in order to become you know to be raised on on the dean and also to like have a solid head on his head um, in terms of good akhlaq and whatnot? And it, it recently I, re- I read an amazing reflection. I heard an re- amazing reflection on how the Prophet them prepared in Hassan and Hussein, how he prepared them for that fitna. Uh, it was an amazing reflection. It was talking about how uh, Hassan anhu, may Allah be pleased with him. The Arab Bedouins mocked him when he gave up, gave up his right. They mocked, up, they mocked him when they would walk by him when he gave up his khilafah. They mocked him and said, you didn't have the guts to stand up. Yep. SubhanAllah. The Arabs mocked him for that. But he knew deep down that this was the right decision. But what yes. did the Prophet say about them? The Prophet said, these two are the masters of the youth in Jannah. Sure. These two are the Sayyid. They're going to be the, they're going to be the masters of the, of, 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 
of, of the youth in general. So the prophet was mentally preparing them. Your leaders, whether you are in the eye, people, whether you are in the eyes of people or not, you're going to be leaders. Subhanallah, wow. And I reflect on my own upbringing. Like my grandfather played that huge role for me like growing up. Like he would push me and encourage me and my cousin to like lead. Like when we were even like maybe just ten years old, he would encourage us to lead in prayer. He like I remember like kind of like the role that a, like a father figure and grandparents can have on on making a child raised up to feel like they have that responsibility and one day they're going to have the responsibility to lead. Like that would really reminded me of that. Yes, subhanAllah, yeah. you know, I, I like now thinking back uh, and then also like realizing I have kids that I have to teach to struggle. I feel like this is something that I'm going to struggle with. You know, like my, my daughter right now, she's four years old and my son, he's uh, my daughter is going to be five soon. And my my son, he's three. I don't like I remember the struggles of, you know, not living in America and living, you know, somewhere else. Yeah. So whatever, like things that they're going through that I, I even went through like in America I try to make sure they're not going to have you know face that struggle but now you know after listening to you I'm thinking you know maybe you know they like I have to teach them how to like what happens when I'm not here you know and I can't yeah. you know, give them all of these things am I really preparing them enough to uh, to be able to handle any struggle that comes with them if I'm yeah. every time something a little bit happens like you know I we go overboard yeah, you got me worried. It's a really so, hard balance. It's a really hard balance. Yeah. yeah so I, like, uh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to add to that. I this this concept, this question of raising kids in general, the challenge that it, it is. But it's I I'm happy that we're you guys are sharing these thoughts because it's at every level we we look at the opportunities that we have around us to help other people grow to help other people around us succeed, to help other people live a more fulfilled life or, or draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like the, the ultimate uh, source of that, that, you know, tranquility and, and success and, and connection with Allah. So it's, uh, the, these concepts can be applied at so many levels, but of course the most nearest to us are our children. And we have, uh, uh, you know, we have this relationship that's built by default to, to be connected with them. And we, we need to make the most of that. I, I love the example that you shared. I, I, I remember hearing that, or you think you shared this with me before, but this way that the prophet peace be upon him is a good lesson that he, he, he gave positive reinforcement uh, through, through words for people. You know, he, he, he told people things that made them happy, not because he was trying to uh, necessarily just, you know, inflate them with an artificial sense of reality, which I think sometimes in, in society today, it feels like we are praising and, and, and overly praising, you know, kids so much that people, kids start to feel entitled. You know, they start to walk around thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I deserve everything. I, I am everything. I'm the most important thing. And it, it, so there's there's a balance there. But the prophet was doing it in a very methodical approach and a very thoughtful approach. But, you know, using words to give people positive reinforcement is a really good lesson. I think I can do it more. I, I don't think that I have good experiences with it. But I think from these lessons, like examples of the prophecy upon him, I can try to verbalize them as well. I, I come more from like the background of um, the doing part of it. So I like to like challenge my son. I like to push him into uncomfortable situations. Sometimes, you know, he likes to walk on this uh, outside of our house. There's a short like brick, uh, maybe sidewalk step. And maybe it's a foot high or something. And he likes yeah. to try to walk on it. 
And I don't want him to be afraid, you know, to have that experience because I want to challenge him. And I know that he might fall. So I try to find the right balance of something that wouldn't uh, risk or harm him too much, but still to try to push him. At least that's kind of more of uh, my background or, or what my nature pushes towards. But I, I do see the problem of, you know, every, like you said, we are living in an era uh, that kings mostly lived in in the past. It was rare for people to live lives like this today or in the past. I mean, so, think about it. If like, if, if, if there was, if there was, God forbid, a, a post-apocalyptic situation where we had to revert back to the type of society they lived in, I don't think we would survive more than like a month. <laughs> oh, you're, you're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> oh, month. Yeah. It's funny. Well, because, uh, so dependent. <laughs> I'll share no, a quick example of what my wife said recently. She said, um, she was just reflecting and saying, you know what, like if this virus was a, a virus and technology rather than yeah. you know the physical yeah. ailment, imagine like everyone's phones crashed and just by going outside or getting on Wi-Fi, you're, you could potentially risk your phone being destroyed or your computer. Like imagine how severe just that would be, let alone post-apocalyptic and there's a shortage of food or whatnot, but people would struggle so much if, if just their technology fell apart. Uh, let alone even more than that yeah just thinking about it gave me a headache <laughs> how are we gonna be without technology right oh my god it, it would make this this particular conversation impossible you know sure. um, although although there is uh there is an old method you know and you guys probably have experience with it which is writing letters you know, so that was a form of, and I'm, I, this is not exactly in post-apocalypse, maybe the, the, well, the post office is already falling apart, you know, we'll yeah. talk about that. But it, yeah. most of history, people had the capacity to, you know, write to each other. Um, and that that's a different type of um, engagement and does put more thought to it. So, but I'm happy with this benefit as well. But yeah, things like this wouldn't be possible. So there's three techniques that um, in this article that I just sent you guys, uh, Dr. Shadi shares about for kids specifically uh, and how to like teach them how to struggle. He says, he talks about these two techniques. He says, if something requires knowledge, you know, I'm here for you all day. I'll give you the knowledge, the experience that you need because you're asking me something that you don't know yet. But if it requires effort, then I'm not going to help you. Like I'm going to make you work for it. Like, you know, like if, if you're asking me to do something just merely because you're not putting in enough effort, then you need to put in the effort. So like, you know, if your kid comes to you and says, you know, I can't find a battery for my remote car, mm -hmm. then, you know, you need to, like he says, I'll respond. I'll say, recite Surah Duha and keep trying. Did you check every single room? Did you do a method? Did you have like a, like a methodology to your approach? Go room by room, look in every single corner, you know, like come back to me then. Don't just complain the first chance you, you, you can't find something. Then technique two, he says, is like he'll use specific phrases, like figure it out do your job, put some effort into it, uh, hustle. He says like, the, these are like words that should become part of our vocabulary in the house. Um, stop mm. being lazy is another one. He said, this one might seem a little harsh, but like it needs to be said sometimes. Mm. And then the third technique he says is like reading books and watching movies that show struggle. And this one really got me thinking because a lot of movies that you see nowadays there's like no struggle at all. And Star Wars is the perfect example of this. I don't know if you guys are Star Wars fans, but like the recent Disney, the recent Disney movies really, really irk me because I don't know if you guys are familiar, but like Ray, unlike Luke and the previous generation of, of Jedi, am I, am I getting too deep into this? Do you guys know no, no, no. Star Wars? Yeah, keep going, okay. keep going. Okay, okay. So unlike previous generations of Jedi, 
they had to struggle. Like they had to go through a process of tarbiyah and tazkiyah to become Jedi. Ray is just is like comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden she's got all this power. <laughs> and Disney has completely ruined ruined Star Wars because of this. Because like what they're teaching kids is that I'm entitled. I don't need to lift a finger or struggle to become a Jedi. If I'm born with it, it's my right. And mm-hmm. it's it's really bad. It's really really bad. Um, but the point is like to focus on books and movies and 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 his, historical figures who really had to go through struggle and show your kids like what like the value of that like. Like romanticize that, make them your heroes, not people who, not the not the not the characters who um, didn't have to go through that experience. Subhanallah, I I think it's like very important for us to, like especially in our field, like you know as Muslims, uh, the way that like this knowledge that we've been talking about got to us, you know, like who had to struggle, what type mm-hmm. of struggle did they have to go through? Earlier mm-hmm. we were talking about hadith of the Prophet like. We are looking at like one of like we look at Sahih Bukhari. This is a book that took uh, Imam Bukhari sixteen years to compile. Now I can like reach back from where I'm sitting and I have it right there. And even if I don't want to do that, I'll just search on the internet and it's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he traveled something like three thousand miles or something to to compile that book. In his time, you type sunnah.com and you hit like I don't Mm -hmm. know ten, fifteen different books. Um, uh, all you know, available in different languages. Uh, it's it's at your fingertips. That's yeah. the like. Wow. Yeah. This. Uh, this. Uh, I wanted to take a moment just to to wrap up here because I think there's a couple of things that I hope we'll be able to dive into in future conversations. Um, mm-hmm. sure. So one, I wanted to say, like, I, I love uh, Sarmad when there's so much more that we're going to hear about Star Wars in the coming weeks, inshallah, because <laughs> I think there's a lot of parallels that we'll get a chance to talk about. Um, but yeah, this this point about you know the struggle and then the the nature of time and, and history like this all the connection here I think it's it's really a unique time for us to reflect on that so I'm happy we got a chance to to have this conversation um, I know you mentioned uh, Dr Shadi Alasri the Safina Society podcast guys are like have a great thing going there and we love what they're doing if anyone gets to check them out or see what they've uh, they've published as well as the course and everything they have there it's pretty awesome. It's like, this, this is not like a paid advertisement. I, I just like what they have and I, I want people to know more about it. Maybe we'll get a chance to, uh, to have a conversation with them in the future. Um, but I wanted to give you guys each a chance if you guys had any closing thoughts and then we can, we can wrap up here, inshallah. I'll go first, inshallah. Um, teach your kids how to struggle. Uh, you also, uh, we all also have to learn how to struggle and how to deal with the struggles that you know, we're facing. And then also to realize that, you know, our struggles are very different than uh, than other people. So, you know, always look for that silver lining. Alhamdulillah, like, you know, us being able to come together and, and you know, talk like this. We can say that, you know, the COVID is not really, you know, impacting us the way that it does other people. So for that, we say Alhamdulillah uh, and know that, you know, those that are closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are the ones that are going to be tested the most. So, you know, when uh, the people that came before us, whenever they were not, uh, whenever, you know, they, they lived at a time where there was too much peace for them, where they were not, you know, going through trials and tribulations, they would start to get worried. They would, you know, wonder, what have I done that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not testing me and I'm not going through the struggles. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, keep us, you know, patient when struggle comes to us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know, ease all of our fears. I mean, I mean, sorry, my yeah, I mean, yeah, Bismillah. I um, 
I'm reminded of uh, the verse from the Quran in Surah Al-Kabut where Allah SWT says, do the people think that they will claim to believe and they will not be tested? That subhanAllah, like the fact that you say you, that you claim to believe is a, you should like, if you, if you, if you claim yourself to be a believer, then you should be ready for the test. Sure. And um, just orienting ourselves and our families in that direction and to be prepared for it mentally, psychologically, and um, whatever ways we can. I, I think community is a huge thing. I mean, that's why I, I'm really excited to join you guys in this podcast because I think, you know, now that we aren't able to physically see community, it's been taking a toll on me myself. Like I haven't been able to go to Jummah the last several months. Uh, my local community is not praying Jummah. And so I feel that gap. I feel that void uh, in my heart of like not having anyone that I connect with. So. I jumped on this opportunity to be with my brothers so we can have this virtual community that we learn from each other and grow with each other, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Honestly, it's a real blessing to have uh, these conversations. Um, sometimes you think you've thought through different perspectives or heard many, many things. And honestly, I know many of us, we, we try to put an effort to listen to a lot of the, the really great you know speakers out there and the imams and the shiyu and different scholars and uh, but but oftentimes I, I try to encourage people as, uh, as much as I can to to take time to reflect on their own. And our perspective is, you know, not necessarily uh, any better, but it is it's a perspective that I'm happy we're having an opportunity to share, to have conversations, um, to bring these different, you know, per- these different viewpoints together. Um, I, I don't have anything to add on the concept of struggle in history, but I, I like the I like the the fact that we'll we'll always try to capture something you know in each of these conversations from current events as well as from historic events uh, because there's no point in history for the sake of history. I think history um, what was recorded what's provided for us the accounts of the Quran about the stories and we'll talk more about that in the future. But that those types of references, Allah is revealing us to us something not so that we could say, oh, we know it, or not so that we could be entertained by it. Although it's that that knowledge is meaningful and that, that there is value in the enjoyment of, of no, those stories that we hear and the, that we learn about from what, what really occurred. But in fact, it's to shape you know, who we are. So this connection to the past really shapes who we are. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a concerted effort by many people and, and generally either to make people lazy about it to, to disregard it entirely or to try to retell that story in some other way. And that's actually the most confusing when you, when you talk to people who have heard a complete different version of the story because they heard it from someone rather than having, you know, sought out or made their best effort to learn more about it themselves. So I hope there's, this kind of opens the door for people to take more of those uh, learning opportunities, inshallah. But Zakallah Khair with that, maybe Imam Fuad, if you don't mind, you can close us out with the dua. Salma, did you want to say something? No, no. Bismillah. Okay, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the best of this life and the best of the hereafter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us jannah to the shindot. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ease all of our affairs. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a beautiful patience when we are tested. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our shortcomings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate us in this dunya and the akhirah. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khayran brothers. I'll see you guys next week inshallah. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.